As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to the game. I am Gabriel Marcotti with a football podcast from the Times where Premier League fans can get every goal, every game, everywhere. Before we begin, a heads up, we are going on the road. You can join me and my posse of football writers for live shows in Birmingham, Newcastle, and Manchester. Tickets cost £5 for Times Plus members and £7.50 for non-members. To book, visit www.ctickets, that, that's S-E-E, tickets as opposed to oceanic ones, uh, dot com slash the times. Or better yet, call 0871-620-4025. Expect some great... Great guests like Dion Dublin, who's going to be at the Birmingham date. And uh, also, we'll have Rory Smith. And rumor has it, yes, he will be stripping. Back to the present and a welcome to my guests. Here in the studio with me, it's the very talented Julian Lorenz from his secret ISDN location. It's Jim Proudfoot. And, and I am told he's not wearing any clothes, from beautiful downtown Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. We'll be discussing Sunderland soon, but we start in the Manchester Derby. All right, Ollie. So Hope Solo, who I'm sure you know who that is, uh, tweeted out that uh, this is the biggest rivalry in all of uh, football. Uh, I'm assuming you disagree, yeah? Uh, I've I've uh, I have heard that argument before, but it's always been from people within Manchester. So uh, no, I, I think uh, Muz Solo, I'm going to have to disagree with her there. But it's a, it, it's a great rivalry. I and I'm assuming it's mostly City fans who argue that it's the biggest rivalry ever, uh, ever judging at least from the United fans who I know. Well, you had Wayne Rooney last night uh, or last week saying that the Liverpool game was bigger. Uh, I, I, I know historically that was the case, but it, it, it probably didn't feel like it yesterday. And I, I would imagine the crushing disappointment uh, after the game was uh, was far greater than it was uh, three weeks ago. Uh, did you expect such a wanton steamrollering of Davy Moyes' United? Uh, I didn't. I'd be lying if I said I did. I, 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 I thought it would be... Um, I thought it would be very tight. I thought Van Persie's injury perhaps swung things a little in um, in, in City's favour, but I, I wasn't expecting City to gel quite as as successfully as they did and, and, and to, to to perform quite as brilliantly as they did for 50 minutes. And I wasn't expecting United to be as so abjectly poor as they were. I mean, they we have seen City steamroller United in these games before um, over the last few years, uh, not just the 6-1, but... I'd say that was uh, that was a fairly extreme one. I mean, City was so much better in in absolutely every department. 
Jim, uh, James Ducker is reporting in our paper, uh, as are others, that uh, Moyes was absolutely furious at halftime and gave his version of the uh, of the hairdryer. Presumably he was angry because it's the old cliche about giving up a late goal uh, just before the break. Um, if you were to break down in percentages how much responsibility is on Moyes and how much is on the players? Cool, that's a difficult question. Well, um, my, 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 the reason I ask this is because... I was talking to somebody who made, who objectively said, he said, look at the United, look at the 11 United players out there, look at the 11 City players, ask yourself how many of this United starting 11 would get in the City team. You know, they made the point City were at home, City have the better players in their opinion. And so maybe some of this is on the manager or indeed on the players. Well, yes, I, I go along with all of that, but you could look at it the other way. If Fergie was the manager of, of that team yesterday, instead of David Moyes, would they still have been beaten? Would they still have been 2-0 down at half-time? Would they have capitulated in the way that they did at the start of the second half? Now, those are all imponderables to a certain extent, but I have to say that I don't don't think you can fairly and squarely lay all the blame on David Moyes' shoulders. Some of it has to be down to the players. Now, they don't instantly forget how to be... Um, you know, decent players uh, since Fergie left and since David Moyes took over. So you then look at the signing policy over the summer. Is that down to David Moyes? Is that down to Mr Woodward? Is that, you know, whose fault is it that there haven't been more stellar names arriving? Why is this golf and Casamin class arrived um, as it has over the summer? But then you've also got to look back only a couple of years for a City 6-1 win at this stage of the season at Old Trafford. And so when it comes down to it, that didn't make Fergie a bad manager overnight. And I don't think this one makes David Moyes a bad manager overnight. Right, uh, Julian, I don't think anybody's saying Fergie's a, a, a bad manager. But the reality is 10 of these 11 players, except for Fellaini, um, were the same guys who were, who were there last year. Um, you can see, I think, you know, Vinic and Ferdinand are your first-choice centre-halves. I thought they were, they were poor, particularly Ferdinand, but generally they've been good. On the other hand, I think I look at Ashley Young and Valencia playing in a game like this, and I wonder maybe is that where Sir Alex might have made a different decision? And, you know, you've got people like Nani who you've just resigned to a long-term contract, obviously the uh, ever-present Kagawa. Mm. And you wonder, you know, was Moyes maybe a little too conservative going into this? I do think so, yeah. I, I was baffled to see Ashley Young preferred to, to Kagawa, for example. And, and Especially if you put Ashley Young in the pitch and you don't allow him to dive. Exactly. You wonder what contribution... He's completely useless right, if he can't dive, yeah. But, I mean, he, he tried 17 passes, succeeded in nine only. What kind of stat is that? It's ridiculous for a game of that level. You know, Ashley Young had nothing to do that. And I think that tactically Moyes made some mistake. I mean, since when Marwan Fellaini can defend, he, he can't defend. And United had the best spell in the game when Cleverly came on and, and, and Fellaini played a bit higher on the pitch behind Rooney because Fellaini cannot play in a sort of 4-2 four, four formation or 4-2-3 on formation in the midfield with Carrick because he can't defend and you could see that defensively it was symbolic and and, and against Aguero's space or Navas' space on, on some of the goals it, it was just not good enough. Well, I want to put that point to you because I actually thought that Fellaini playing in the two for United wouldn't be a problem because United generally have so much possession and whatever else. Obviously, this is one game where that's not going to be the case. Um, and, and you realize when you see it that you know, Fellaini and Carrick together, that's not the most mobile midfield partnership uh, out there. And, and that becomes a problem when United don't have the ball all the time. Um, is this something that Moyes is going to have to rethink? 
Well, not only is it not mobile, I, I, I think it, it's not aggressive either. I know, I know people look at Fellaini and they think, oh, he, he, he's, he's a hard guy. And he is in some respects. He is if you're jostling for position with him. At, he is at, if you're Ryan Sharkrass and he elbows you in the head. Exactly. <laughs> uh, they, um, but in terms of breaking up play, um, winning tackles, etc., He's not he's not that aggressive a player. He he doesn't get box to box box to box. He's not slick with his passing. He's a he's 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 a good player, certainly. He was a very effective player at Everton. I think he can can be more effective in, in a deeper midfield role, but you wouldn't put Carrick um as the ideal partner for him or him as the ideal partner for Carrick. And I I, I mean I was saying these things in the summer as were others and, it, and, and although he played well against um, Leverkusen I, I thought I thought the, the, the two of them were hopeless yesterday and I, I, I was slightly surprised even by that because I thought if there was one match where um, or one sort of contest where you would think that the Fellaini, Fellaini's mere presence would make a difference for United it would be in a game such as this where where, where they've perhaps been bullied a little bit by uh, Yaya Toure bullied you know, in, a, in, in a good way you know, um, and, nowhere and, near and, the ball, though. And, and exactly, he doesn't. But but when you, you knew that you knew that before the I mean you knew before the game that he, you know he would he would struggle in in that sense in terms of when they don't have the ball how, you know how he get the ball back for example. Yeah, well, and I, I read that he he made one one tackle in the, in the ninety minutes and no interceptions, which I know, I know cool. people can sometimes um, uh, accuse us of, of getting bogged down by selective use of statistics. But um, it was, I mean, I, I, I just don't think he's the type of player um, that some Man United fans seem to think they were getting. He, he's he's he, he will make them stronger than, than they were because he'll be an option. But he, he, I, I, I don't think he will improve them go, in what they do with the ball. I don't think he will particularly improve them in what they do without the ball. I, I think if he is an improvement, it's probably a reflection on the paucity of what they had there last season. Um, uh, Julian, I want to ask you something. Something struck me about Manuel Pellegrini. On Friday, he came out and he said that his team was mentally stronger than United. Now, I have a soft spot for Pellegrini. I've had one for a long time. But I was really impressed with that because it looked to me like mental strength is one of those alibis that you can use when you lose. You, you mentioned, you know, well, we all know them, right? You, you can either say that you, you, know, you were mentally weaker, but you can't say that in this case because Pellegrini just told us they were mentally stronger. Uh, you can blame the referee, but sometimes there are no contentious incidents in a game. Uh, you can say that your squad is weaker, uh, but obviously that wouldn't be the case when City played United which would leave the, the fourth alibi, which is the manager screwed it up, which then would have meant Pellegrini taking all the responsibility. Um, I, I said, I thought that was really unusual what he said. I was really impressed with that. But then he was spot on when you looked at the ease with which the players may, played, in particular Samuel Nazri and, and Alvaro Negredo. You know, two guys, Negredo certainly is a guy with a reputation back in Spain for not being a big game player and who, you know, a guy who would shrivel up and die when the going got tough. Nazri is a reputation, of course, untapped talent of being a loon. Um, I thought those two guys, you know, Aguero and Yaya Torre, we expect to be good. But I thought those two guys, for me, really stood out. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and the partnership with, with Nazri and Kolarov as well, because Nazri played a bit more in the center, which left all the left-hand side to, to yeah, Kolarov. Kolarov's another one who's been yeah. treated like some kind exactly. of fool by Couldn't the media. Play football. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And, and it was good. It was good yesterday. And, and it's an advantage of the fact that Valencia was... Uh, very poor defensively where usually he's renowned to, to, to defend quite well but you yeah, know I agree with you and 
and and company's return was obviously was 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 massive for them too. But um, you're right, and I think tactically again, you know, uh, Pellegrini got got his spot on. He could have started maybe with Milner on the right, but he went for Navas because he knew that Navas' pace against Evra, who is like 57 years old, you know, was could have been a winner every time, and 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 he, he was spot on again. And Negredo bullied Ferdinand and and, and Vidic yesterday, which Negredo is everything but a Spanish player. Clearly, when you see him play, it's just <laughs> nothing like like a Spanish player. But he was very effective, and that worked. And I've been impressed with Pellegrini. I think he's made them work harder than ever before. I remember Najri saying when he was with the national team that uh, in the in the preseason camp they, they train at seven thirty in the morning at nine nine in the evening as well and he had three sessions in a day and 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 I think that when he said that they're mentally stronger is because they went through like some sort of military camp with him that has clearly improved the squad I think mentally and physically as well. Uh, Ali, what's your take on this? Because remember, uh, of course, the man who knows everything about football, Raymond Verheyen, uh, he's completely against military camps and double sessions and things like that. Uh, to what do you put this city transformation down? Also compared to some of City's earlier performances this year, which frankly weren't good. Yeah, well, I mean, if you comp- compare the games where they've struggled this season and the games where they played well, I think one significant difference is the fact that company has played in all the ones where they've played well and and. All of one, and he's missed all the other three where, where they've perhaps been less convincing. I, I think company obviously makes the defence stronger, but he, he, he makes the team stronger in, it, in every respect. He, he's just a, a rock for them at, at the heart of that defence. And um, but in terms of the contrast with last season, I mean, I, I think City should have been at or close to that level um, for much of last season. They have got a fantastic pool of players and I think people forgot last season just how good Aguero can be, how good Toure can be because it was like the, the whole club was under a cloud from the from, from start to finish and um, I know people w- w- will always say that Mancini shouldn't have been sacked and, and I'm sure they'll say it again if, if um, City don't win the league or if they don't get to a cup final or whatever but to me that change of manager was so important So why so, were they so um, bad against so, so you re- so so, if I read you correctly, um, you're saying that the difference is, you know, they, they were bad against Stoke and bad against Cardiff and whatever else because company wasn't there and they were and they're better than they were last season because Pellegrini's there. Is that, in a nutshell, what you're what you're saying? The, the, these are, these are two points which I'm making. It's not necessarily my entire explanation <laughs> yeah, of the whole fine. thing, but but but, but, but the, the game at Stoke. I mean, the game at Stoke. Pellegrini made a lot of changes. I think with the Champions League game in, in mind, um, he had Rodwell in midfield, and and it, it was it was not as strong a, a looking team. I wasn't entirely surprised that, that that they dropped points there, having seen that team. The game at Cardiff was was a bit of a disaster, but I, I thought that was the one where they really really missed company. And um, I, I I think man for man, you look, you look at City's City's team. If we accept that they massively underperformed in getting whatever it was. 70, high 70s uh, in points last season. If you look at the fact that A, we're, we're going to see improvements from Hart and company and Aguero, Torre, Improvements cetera, from Hart. Um, and, and, and B, the fact that we the, the, they've added real quality and real proven quality in, in several areas where they were slightly weaker. I think it's I think inevitable that they are going to be a far better team this season. And, and I think Pellegrini deserves credit for for doing it but it's it, it was probably to be expected all right from uh, one massive derby to an even bigger derby no just kidding um chelsea and fulham um 
Now, we touched upon the whole Mourinho-Mata thing last week, but of course, uh, y'all weren't here last week. Um, I want to just throw this out here because I was really struck by the fact that Mourinho did something that we in the media always want managers to do, and he's kind of paying a price for it. He gave a very cogent, very clear explanation of why Juan Mata isn't starting. Um, and, and, and why Oscar is ahead of him and why Mata doesn't fit, basically. Uh, so, Ali, so why are people now still criticizing Mourinho when he's answered your question, oh, representative of the entire English media? Mm. Well, I think in some cases because the explanation is, is, is hard to accept. I know, I know he's saying, well... Matter isn't isn't um, yeah. Well, I, I can't remember what he said on the record and what I've heard um, off the record. But but the, the, the version I've heard is that is that matter slows things down. Matter's not um, physically imposing enough. Uh, matter tires during games, and. I've got to say, I know, I know people are saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you know what, he's right. I don't think it is right. I, I've watched Matter an awful lot over the past couple of years, and I, I, I don't think he's a player who's in any way ineffective in that number 10 role. I, I, he doesn't want to play him in the number 10 role. I don't think role. he's slow. I don't think, he, I don't think you know, people will yeah. say he doesn't suit Chelsea's counter-attacking game. Well, they weren't trying to counter They weren't playing on the counter-attack, on... Um, on Saturday, they weren't playing on the counter attack against um, Basel in midweek. They were trying to control the game, and I, I think if he wants to put um, Oscar in the centre and, and put Matter out out um, out wide as, as Di Matteo occasionally did um, in the first half of last season, then then that's fine. But you, you will really, really struggle to convince me, or Mourinho will really struggle to convince me that Matter is not a better option in, in in one of those three positions than whoever happens to be keeping him out at any one time. And you might also struggle to convince me that there's nothing personal to it because it, 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 it has seemed that way since the start of the season and, and or indeed from the start of the summer when the first anti-Matter rumblings started to come out of the uh, Mourinho camp. Now, Julian, I'm in a funny position here because I've, I'm not one of those people who believe Mourinho is some kind of tactical genius. In fact, right. I don't think that that's his strength at all. Um, he's fine. There's nothing wrong with him, but nothing special there either. And he has, as, as Ollie said, he, does, he has shown himself to be somewhat petty and vindictive, I thought, in the past. However, in this case, I, I disagree with Ollie. I think it's, it's an empirical fact that Mata has certain characteristics. And that once you decide that you're going to play Oscar in the hole, and we can debate whether that's the right thing to do, but once you've committed to him there, you have to put him on the wing. And since Mourinho's fullbacks do not attack, um, they, they basically sit yeah. all the time, wingers end up, and, and, and he has his wingers track back and, and help out. Um, it is kind of an issue when you've got a player like Mate who always cuts inside the way most uh, of Chelsea's wingers do. I mean, you can see how it unbalances a team. I mean, the fair question, I think, is why didn't they just sell him um, the way they probably should have? Um, but hey, where do you stand on this? I, I agree with both of you. I think I think there's some Come games. On. I know. I think there's some games where where Mata would be very useful for for Chelsea for for 
for what Mourinho wants to do, like Oli said, when they're controlling the actually, game. Against when Fulham, got, when Fulham played the 8-1-1 formation, yeah. actually, on exactly, Saturday, exactly. that would have come When they've got 60% of the ball, or 65% of the ball, or sometimes 70% of the ball, I think Mata would be very useful then. And then on the other hand, when they want to play in counter-attack, uh, then it could be an issue and, and maybe then leave him on the bench. Uh, for me, him in the stands is just ridiculous because he's a player you could bring on after an hour or 70 minutes and he could change the way the game is and, and everything for Chelsea. So for me, not even him being on the bench tells me that there's something more personal between those two than just he doesn't trail back, he doesn't defend, he's not physical enough and, and all that thing that Mourinho is saying. Jim, um, I always hesitate when people throw things onto the personal, especially in this case with, with Mata because, I mean, he's a soft-spoken, nice guy, he's articulate. I don't think he's ever come out with anything even remotely controversial. Um, and yet, both Julian and Ollie, you know, are, are open to the possibility that there's something personal there. Are, are they insane? Um, I, I just, to be honest, there will be plenty of managers that don't like people who have those attributes, uh, you know, have those personal attributes, who, who are quite shy, softly spoken, perhaps a, a thinking man's footballer. Now, I'm not saying that Mourinho is one of those who would regard somebody like that as being weak, but he might think that he hasn't got a forceful enough personality. So you, there would be plenty of reasons why Mourinho might fall out with matter for those aspects of his personality as opposed to him being someone who's at the other end of the scale, a John Terry, if you like. So, yeah, it could happen. I think from matter's point of view... Having been player of the year for Chelsea for two years, having played 120 games over two years, it's uh, it's a travesty. But when Mourinho, as you say, gave such a cogent explanation of it on Friday, you can see where he's coming from. Oscar's been the best player that Chelsea have had this year. It, it does kind of make sense. All right, in our debate this week, um, we were going to talk about rainbow laces, uh, but then uh, Sunderland went out and sacked Paolo Di Canio, so we need to talk about that first. But I want to get this rainbow lace thing out of the way because I think it's kind of interesting, and it's an interesting case of potentially a positive message being horribly, in my opinion, horribly managed by the people involved. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, there's a well-known bookmaker who decided to bankroll a campaign by a group called Stonewall to basically, um, you know, promote the fight against homophobia, and they were going to urge footballers to wear these rainbow laces. And it all turned into a bit of a dog's breakfast because uh, they kind of discovered after they'd sent the laces out that um, some clubs, for example, already had pre-existing agreements with other bookies, and um, that was a problem for them. Other clubs simply said, you know what? We'll make it voluntary, but we don't really want you imposing your views on us because it's a little bit like, uh, you know, when uh, when England um, went out there and uh, and wore the uh, and then they had the poppy embroidered on the shirt. Like you don't really have a choice. Whereas if you pin it on, you know, it is a choice. Um, and uh, and I think in other places there are some players. I think we all know some of them who, you know, legitimately and freely. Um, don't want to promote a message that fights homophobia. Um, so, Ali, I want to start with you. Should we see this as a missed opportunity? Um, I, I can understand clubs, and, and, and sadly, this is—I mean, this is just a, an indictment of what 
modern football is, but I, I can understand those which have existing betting partnerships not exactly uh, embracing this uh, this thing because it was you know it was um, taken over really by um, by, by, by that um, famed publicity seeking bookie that that that, um, that we mentioned. But the um, I, mean, I, I hope I hope that what happens now is that. Um, that bookie, it's very hard to say, not to say them. Um, I hope that they take a step back and think, well, that we, we've done our, we've done our bit. If our presence is what's turning people off here, um, why don't we just let Stonewall go ahead with it? We'll, we'll disassociate ourselves with it, and we'll see if the, the, the reaction's any different. If it's just seen. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... Things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As, a, as, a, as an anti-homophobia initiative rather than being seen as a, um, as a bookmaker-fueled um, publicity uh, stunt on the back of that. And if teams and uh, or clubs and players don't embrace it then, then I, I, think that it, I think that would be, frankly, quite worrying because we, 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 we've seen... Um, I, mean, I, I don't think there's an enormous issue, but I don't think it's a bad message to stand to send out that, that, that there's an anti-homophobia campaign and we've we've had an issue a, a, a few years ago where the pfa tried to get or the fa tried to get um um players to come forward in support of an anti-homophobia campaign and, and nobody did it was it was just ridiculous and i mean I'd like to think that the, the, the bookmaker's presence was the reason why this didn't really take off rather than, a, well, rather than a, 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 an outright rejection of it. This is what really angers me about this because I, I look at and, – and I think it's fair to blame Stonewall for this, frankly. There are 92 clubs that were involved with this in England, right? I'm assuming you need, what, maybe roughly 20 laces um, for the match day squad, maybe a little less. You're talking about 1,800 sets of laces. I can't imagine they cost more than 10 pounds each, right? So basically, you're talking about an 18,000-pound investment, yeah? I'm assuming that you could go to the PFA, you go to Gordon Taylor, and you say, hey, Gordon Taylor, especially since you're so opposed to bookies and gambling, uh, we were going to go to a bookie for this, but can you get your guys 
to, uh, uh, to contribute 18 grand for this very worthwhile cause. And you know what? And if they won't do it, I guarantee you 100%. If you ask Joey Barton, hey, Joey, are you willing to, to chuck in 18 grand to pay for everybody's laces? I guarantee you he would do it and he would get his mates to contribute. You could have very easily done this. And this is what I find almost a little bit suspicious about Stonewall. Right? Stonewall can't afford 18 grand yeah, worth of laces. Right, yeah. What? They're, and they're a big group. They're a big chance. They're a big group. Yeah. yeah, they've got plenty of patrons who can. And it, and it really, it should be, it should have been the PFA, you know, that they should have approached first with this. Um, I'm sure the Premier League would have chucked in some money, Definitely. you know. And, and that's what I find really suspicious and annoying about this. Well, no, Gab, I totally agree with you. Uh, but I think the problem is that uh, whoever was advising Stonewall on the PR just hadn't thought it through. They thought, well, OK, we can spend 18 grand, but if we can get someone to give us the 18, 20 grand, whatever it costs, then so much the better, because that's still money that we've got in the pot that we can you know, fight our cause um, with other things. They hadn't thought it through that this would then become completely ambushed by the bookmaker uh, in charge. And my worry is that, um, OK... In the broad sense of it, they've scored a bit of an own goal, but it has at least been talked about and and people will, at whatever level, not the level that it should have um, received, um, but at whatever level, people will have thought about it and thought potentially about the problem in the game. Now, when they try and do it properly the next time, it's still going to be associated with that bookmaker. Even though the bookmaker won't be putting any money in, people will go, oh yeah, remember the last time they did this and it was ambushed by name of the bookmaker and as a consequence you know they they've they have taken a step back i think broadly speaking clearly it's an issue that has got to be trying that they've got to try and sort out uh that um there has to be an atmosphere engendered within the game where uh any players who want to come out feel that they are able to um and I don't think it. this has been a disaster for them, but what it hasn't done, it hasn't been the big step forward that they will have hoped for. And, and uh, you know, they've just been badly advised. So we've had the uh, first managerial change in the Premier League uh, with uh, Sunderland uh, choosing to uh, part ways with Paolo Di Canio after a pretty brutal uh, 3-0 defeat away to West Brom. As you can probably imagine, I have uh, my own thoughts on this. Um, But uh, what strikes me first and foremost is that for a manager to get sacked after five games, um, that's pretty extreme, especially five games into the season when he's only had seven games last season. Uh, that is pretty drastic, isn't it, Ollie? It is drastic. And, it, and it, to me, it reflects a, a belated realization that it was a mistake from the very start. I mean, you can, you can say that he, he kept them up. Um, I think Wigan helped to keep them up as well. Um, he did make a, a very good short-term impact in his first few games last season, but um, I think it was to me, painfully obvious that it wasn't going to work beyond uh, beyond that initial short-term impact. And it was, uh, yes, it was early, but uh, I'm, I'm just more baffled that he he, he was given the um, freedom to um, wheel and deal to some extent in the summer, and and also baffled that he got the job in the first place. It was just bizarre. Well, it wasn't him doing the, the wheeling and dealing. They do have a, a director of football. Um, but what's interesting about that, Julian, is people made such a big deal of these you know, 14 signings. Well, they did allow 10 players to go, plus another three on the, um, who, who are on the you know, not wanted list, Mr. Bardsley and guys like that. Um, 
in the end, their net spend this season was was close to zero. Um, and also of the guys they brought in, four were loan signings and, and four uh, our kids were, were, were four are basically teenagers. Um, but I wonder where does this leave them vis-a-vis the fact that uh, the new manager who comes in, assuming it's not Kevin Ball, or even if it is Kevin Ball, his first two games are going to be Liverpool and Manchester United. Yeah. Talk about you know, an uphill start. Yeah. That's the part I don't understand. No, yeah, the timing. The, uh, the, the timing. Uh, maybe they thought that like, the sooner the better in terms of of then you know recovering from the, that very very poor start. But then again, you're right. This game, and then I think that the fourth game then is the the derby against Newcastle or the fifth game something. So it could be a complete disaster. And in five five more games, they still have one point like they have now, which you know would make it even more disastrous. So I'm, I'm not sure. I, I just don't think that the would have improved that team. I'm not. I'm not sure. No, it's not. That I don't know. I'm not sure how much he would have improved that team in the next few games, especially considering the opponents, and and that's why I think it was probably the best decision. You know, maybe not just now in, in a few games, but I, I just cannot see any sort of space for improvement from him in the way it was with the players and everything. And the fact that Cecinion, who hates him so much, and you know left the club and scored that first goal against him, uh, f- for me tells everything. Are we also going to say why Sessegnon left the cup? <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, but, but again... You Drink know, driving, drunk at the wheel, yeah? Yes, yes, okay. there was a bit of that, but there was also that, you know, Di Canio and him had some, some big issues and, and, and Sessegnon did well for Sunderland, I think, before Di Canio arrived, yeah. Um, Ollie, one thing uh, um, which struck me, and I think maybe speaks to some kind of uh, the umpteenth cultural disconnect, and... This is one situation where I think it's it's fair if uh, you know you want to go. Paolo's been in this country for a long time. Uh, you should know the reaction is people treated it as sort of weird and bizarre when, especially after defeats, he'd go over to the home fans and or sorry, sorry to the uh, to the Sunderland fans. In this case, the the traveling Sunderland fans, and uh, and say it was his fault um, and basically show his face to the traveling fans now. I have a very clear idea why he does this because I know the guy pretty well and it has to do with the fact that unlike most managers, he used to be a paying fan who paid his way or often didn't pay his way um, around the country supporting his team and he knows what these people go through and he kind of believes in taking responsibility. But then nobody seemed to kind of understand this. They all treated like, oh look, what a weirdo. He's going out there and facing the fans instead of, you know, running back inside to his uh, uh, massive wages and his Ferrari and all this stuff the way most managers do. Am I completely off base on this? Is it really so tough to understand that we need to describe his behavior as odd? Mm, The the impression I've had all along with him is is, uh, in his managerial career is is that it's... (laughs) It's posturing that it's that it's sort of um, gesturing as if to as if to sort of turn it into the Decanio show, but but to, I mean I, I thought he was less trying to take, to, to uh, take responsibility for it. I thought he was more trying to express solidarity with the fans while the you know while the um, you know the team struggled on the pitch I find he said like they were angry and had I been a fan I would have been even angrier than they were almost everything he did and said and and so on I I think it it rebounded because I don't think people are are really impressed with that at at, at Premier League level Premier League players certainly aren't 
Well, you, I mean, you, Gav, you know him very well, but obviously by staying objective, what, what do you make of it? Do you, th- do you feel it was too early? Do you think he could have improved that team? Do you think he made mistakes, you know, criticising players publicly after games, for example, and stuff like that? What, what do you make of it all? Um, I think George Culkin uh, wrote a great blog on this subject last year. In fact, Alan Shear also was very cogent about this last night. Um, this is Paolo. This is what he's like. This is, you know, you either accept it that, you know, he will criticize players. And even in criticizing players individually, um, he's not an idiot. He criticized those players individually who he thought would respond. And lost in everything else is that John O'Shea responded. Key, the, the player, you remember the Korean guy who, you know, he accused of being a bit wussy responded and started the next game and played well. Um, there are other players he could have criticized who he didn't criticize because in public because he knew perfectly well. and didn't criticize him in private because he knew perfectly well that they would shrink away. I just think that because of his past, anything he does is seen as weird and wonderful. Even and Well, weird in a negative way and wonderful in a, in, in a positive way when, when, when he gets things right. Like this whole, like, oh, look, the discipline, the passion he injected kept Sunderland up. Yeah, bollocks. I mean, as we said before, like it was probably Wigan that helped keep um, a, a very bad Sunderland team up uh, last season. Um, but it just seems to me completely bizarre to, so once you've made a commitment, once you've embarked on, on signing certain types of players, you're now kind of hamstrung in signing another manager who can work with this group because the rumors are they're going to go with an English manager or a British manager, you know, Pulis, Pierce, and who may well look at these guys and say, oh, no, I need a whole new set of guys. That part really doesn't make um, any sense to me whatsoever. I think that um, part of Paolo Di Canio's problem has been that the, the players that the technical director brought in have not been good enough, and there's no getting away from that. Uh, you, you look at uh, Roberto De Fanti's signings, uh, you've talked about the number that he's brought in. How many of those have been a proven Premier League quality? Well, the bottom line is not nearly enough of them. Um, Giaccherini, clearly, yes. Uh, Altidore, probably. The others, I would say not. I think, they could, I think they could have spent their money much more wisely by bringing fewer players in of better quality. Um, they also, uh, I know you're an apologist for Paolo, but... He's a, he's a man who had no Premier League experience as a manager. And if you look at the number of players that have played under him at Swindon and Sunderland put together, who have fallen out with him or who will look back on his reign as being one of um, delight, I would say that the, the answer is probably just about zip. Now, that's no way to manage. It doesn't work like that. You can't fall out with everybody all the time. Whether your methods are good, whether everything is done with the right intention, and I don't for one moment doubt that it is because I think that he's a, um, a man with a very forceful personality who is desperate to succeed and he, and he will have done what he believed was the best thing to do. But when it comes down to it, if you fall out with that many people all the time, then it, it just says something about your style, that it's not going to work. And I wasn't surprised. That he, that he got the sack. Whether it's the right decision or not, I don't know, but I wasn't surprised he got the sack. I was much more surprised that he was appointed in the first place. Well, I, I mean, in terms of the players he falls out with at Sunderland, I mean, so far, obviously, we've, we've heard from Bardsley, Bramble and Sessegnon, and I think what they have in common is that the first two I don't think are anything to write home about as players and had no future at the club. The other one, um, as Julian said, there was an issue. There was an issue sure. there, and that's why he moved him on. I mean, I'd, I'd be very curious, and I have no idea what he's going to say. And I expect somebody like Cattermole, who also wasn't getting playing time, I'll be very curious to hear from people like Gardner, Larson, O'Shea. Once he's gone, now that they feel they can speak freely, you know what 
they'll honestly say about it, having been there a while. I mean, people are obviously attached to the club. It may well be, as, as you say, JP, that he fell out with all of them and he fell out with everybody and nobody in the world likes him. And, um, and, and that's why he's not fit to be a manager. You know, the bottom line is that the prize asset at Sunderland is Stephen Fletcher. And, and whether uh, he will go on record at, at any time, he's probably a little bit too canny to, to make you know, public pronouncements on it. But whether he will go on and say, yeah, I think he got the best out of me when I was fit. I don't know that he. I don't know that he will. You look back at Swindon, and I know they're two completely different clubs. And you, you, you I'm not trying to compare like with like, but I don't think there's a single Swindon player, um, from what I understand, um, it's, you know, not a million miles from where I live. I don't think there's a single Swindon player that that looks back on his reign and says that it is was a good thing. I know that he won them promotion, but he he left the club financially in a, a pretty sorry state. Uh, and he did fall out with everybody. And there was the famous quote uh, when he left from the chief executive, who, again, maybe had an axe to grind and, and, you know, can't be completely neutral, but he said it was management by hand grenade. Well, nothing that happened at Sunderland would make you, would make you doubt that it was also management by hand grenade on Wearsa. All right, time now for some quick hits. There we were, ready to anoint Liverpool, and they lose at home to Southampton. Ollie, what was the problem this week? And please don't say it was the four centre halves. Anything? Is it anything the return of Suarez can solve? Well, from where I was looking, there, there seemed to be two problems. One was the four centre halves, which I thought was was a, a strange way of doing things for, for the manager who's, who loves his his, his defender, you know, his, his defenders to be comfortable on the ball and and and, and to, to to take the ball out. I thought that was quite strange, but it, it didn't work. You saw the panic um, in the lead up to the corner for the first goal um, and, and the other problem was that there just seemed to be no fluency and, and no energy to their play I thought Gerard looked jaded um, others looked jaded as well and, and when you say anything to return the Suarez can solve well yeah I thought that would, that probably for the first time since he was out would look like a performance that was um, crying out for a, for an injection of what whatever it is that Suarez brings and I, I think um, there have been some fairly misleading stats about about how much better a team they are without Suarez than than with him I think um, I think Suarez's return comes at a very good time for them really good Tony Barrett piece and uh, Monday's uh, game uh, by the way on this very issue personally I don't see why he didn't go three at the back Tottenham leave it late but Paulinho eventually gives them three points against Cardiff with an exquisite back heel uh, Julian it's your call you can either celebrate Spurs late 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 winner or a ridiculously good performance by the vastly underrated David Marshall in the Cardiff goal yeah I'll celebrate both I think you know th- w- w- as the game was 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 going on you could tell that Spurs would probably score very late they, they've done it last season I think they just they're just that, they have that mental strength that you knew they would do it again but, but I thought Marshall was magnificent obviously I've got a soft spot from Cardiff because Mrs. Ellis from there so um, so I, I I was also also wanted a draw for, for Cardiff but you know I, I think Spurs showed showed great composure until the end which was really important for them but, but, but Cardiff as well could have could have got a point too so is Mrs. L a blue or a red? Oh, she's, she's a blue. All right. Just Big checking. Time. Just checking. Big time. So she hates the swans, as you do. <laughs> yes. Now, we need to give uh, credit to Southampton. This whole thing with the front four pressing and the back six sitting seems to work rather well for Mr. Pochettino. Um, JP, what's your take on him? And also, does it strike you as slightly weird in this day and age uh, that he still uses an interpreter, uh, what, nine months into the job? Uh, yes, because his English is very good. 
very, very good indeed. So I, I don't know why, whether he just uses it as a crutch, whether he's absolutely desperate to make sure that he's not misinterpreted or um, that uh, he doesn't leave himself open to accusations that um, the the implications of what he say are, are actually misinterpreted by one of us uh, scurrilous journalists. But I love watching Southampton play. I'm still not entirely convinced that... Um, He's necessarily got the front four in the right order, in the positions that they want to be. And it's uh, a question of sort of making do and sort of muddling through. But the bottom line is, look where they are in the table. They're above Manchester United after five games. They have played very well. They should have beaten West Ham and should be even higher. Are they going to be there at the end of the season? No, of course they're not. But what's what's a realistic aim for Southampton? If they finish in the top half this season, that would be an excellent season. There's no reason under Pochettino why they won't be able to do it. Hey, guess what? Arsenal are top of the league, and they beat Stoke City with three set-piece goals, something that seemed unthinkable not that long ago. Julien, they have this incredible uh, away winning streak. I think it's 11 games across all competitions. Does this mean that Messrs. Wenger, Kroenke, and Gazidis, especially Kroenke, of course, were right all along, and everybody else was wrong? Say it! Yes, they were right, maybe not all along, but they did some very good things things they got rid of a lot of players that uh, were, were far too heavy for the squad and and then got some good signings the play was too heavy for the strong well I was the Andy Reid type or what like, no no in terms of wages especially oh. which was good and then they got some good signing I think but they're still a bit short in numbers I think so uh, you know I think maybe in January um, make another good one or good two signings or, or before if, if it's a free player but um, but yeah no, a lot of very good thing and a very good start of the season I think they've lost one since Munich, if uh, memory Yeah, serves. exactly. Last year, we waxed lyrical about Swansea and their pretty football. Ollie, after their 2-0 uh, away win at Crystal Palace, are we likely to do the same this season? I think we are. I mean, I think I think it started already. I mean, the the, the, the win um, the win in Valencia in, in midweek was fantastic, and I know I know there's a a tendency in this country to sort of um, think that any team who's getting Universal praise from the media is is, is some kind of um, media darlings. I, I think it's it's I think it's inevitable that a team such as Swansea, who with everything that they do being so admirable and so impressive, I, I think it's inevitable that they're going to get an awful lot of um, praise from us in the media. So if you don't like it, then I'm, I'm afraid you're going to have to get used to it because there's an awful lot to admire there. Everton are the only undefeated side in the Premier League following their 3-2 win at Upton Park against a team that once won the World Cup. Uh, JP, Leighton Bain scores two free-kick goals, one either side of the keeper. Given your own personal prowess in free-kicks, uh, you're the right person to ask. Is it really that easy or is it just hours of practice, perhaps 10,000 hours of quality-focused practice? It is just hours of practice. The second goal was one of the best free-kicks I've ever seen in my life. It was just stunning. And the first one was good, but then to be able to, 20 minutes later, from an almost identical position, in fact, it was an even harder position because he was closer to goal, so he had less scope to get the ball uh, up over the wall and down again. To be able to then ping it inch perfectly into the other corner, it was just majestic. You've just got to stand up and applaud his skill. It was a jaw-droppingly brilliant moment from Leighton Baines. And it is just hours of practice. It can't be that easy, otherwise everybody would be able to do it. It was genius. One for you, Gab. Uh, it was a Cachico in Ligue 1, Monaco visiting Paris Saint-Germain uh, yesterday night. I don't follow French football very closely, as you know, so please tell me what happens. Yes, because I need to tell you what happened. But I'll give you my take um, on the game. I... Uh, 
I thought, obviously, Paris Saint-Germain took an early lead through through Slatan and his sort of mad stab at the ball. Radamel Falcao, for, for those who think that, um, you know, South American strikers are, are wussy, uh, basically going diving headfirst into the ground effectively uh, to make it 1-1. I, I kind of thought that in the second half, the game, certainly in the first part of the second half, the game petered out a little bit. Maybe Laurent Blanc thought, you know what, I want to beat these guys, but... A defeat would really, really suck for me. Um, so maybe I'm not necessarily going to be uh, as progressive as, as, as I might have been otherwise. Uh, and I think also the Chaco Silva getting hurt and somebody named Kamara having to come on, uh, that was also, that also robbed them of a lot of their uh, confidence. Kamara and Marquinhos, I think that was probably, the, I'm sure it was probably the first time they ever yeah. played together at the back. Um, so in the end, 1-1, uh, great point for Crazy Claudio Ranieri, who's uh, still top of the league. With uh, what four teenagers in his uh, in his rotation? Very impressive. Yeah. That's all for now. Come see us live in Birmingham. We'll put the links on Twitter and our SoundCloud page too. Thanks to my panel, Julian Lawrence, Ollie Kay, and Jim Proudfoot. Remember, you can write to us as so many of you do every single week. It's Game Podcast at thetimes.co.uk. We're all on Twitter. We all love hearing from you, especially Ollie Kay. So please reach out and touch us. Maybe not in that way. Thanks to my panel. Till next week. Bye bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books. Contacts. Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.